All right, all right. Welcome. Good morning. It is so good to see you guys. Glad you are here at Connect Church with us. We want to give a special shout out to the folks that are joining us online. Some of you guys are not back in person yet. Whether you are here in person or you are with us digitally, we want you to know you're part of the Connect Church family, and we are looking forward to a great Sunday morning together. Come on. It's going to be good. All right. Now, last week, we kicked off this series called Don't Drink the Poison. How many of you guys were here for week number one? Okay, a few of you guys, good, good, good. That's okay if this is the first time you're joining us, you're not gonna miss out on too much. In fact, let me recap a little bit of what we said. Last week, we learned that people are going to offend us in life. People are gonna upset us. People that you love, people that you're close to, strangers, doesn't matter who it is, people are going to offend us. And I think the wisdom that the scripture gives us can help us to make sure that a moment of offense does not become a lifetime of bitterness. That's the whole goal in this series. We wanna make sure that you don't drink the poison, that a moment of offense never becomes a lifetime of bitterness, all right? Then we learned that God's graciousness towards us when we offend him, that's the example and the motivation for how we treat and deal with others when they offend us. God is good and kind and patient and forgiving to us when we offend him, and so we wanna turn around and extend the same thing to other people. Now, today, what I wanna do is get really practical, all right? I want to help you to understand the real reason there is so much offense and hurt in your relationships. By the time you leave today, you are going to have a solid understanding. Again, it doesn't matter whether it's a stranger on Deerfoot or your husband or your in-laws. By the time we leave today, you're going to have a solid understanding of what is really driving this, uh, this offense kind of culture in our world, our quickness to get hurt, upset, angry with one another. And let me tell you, the reason is not what you probably think it is, all right? You may think that the reason there's so much conflict in your marriage is because you married the wrong person. Come on, anybody with me? No, you're not gonna admit that here. I get it, I get it. Good on you. That would have been real dumb, okay? That would have been a bad move. Thankfully, you didn't do that. No, you might think the reason that you two are just buttonheads so much is because I chose the wrong spouse. My mama warned me I should not marry her, but I didn't listen, and now look at where we are. Can I tell you, that is probably not the reason that there's so much offense and conflict in your marriage, all right? You might think that uh, the, the reason that you and your brother don't get along is because that dude is selfish. You know what I'm saying? He is all about himself. He never thinks about anybody else. He's the problem here. And if he would just stop being like that, then everything would be okay. And that might be true. Your brother actually might be selfish, okay? But I think by the time we get finished this morning, you're gonna see that there are other things that are probably going on in that situation. Hey, you may be saying, you know, Dan, I had to leave my last church because they just weren't friendly. That, those people were not very friendly and I didn't feel like I connected. And, and you may think that is the reason that there is like offense or there was hurt between you and your past church. And listen, they may be unfriendly. I've been to some unfriendly churches. Hopefully Connect Church has made you feel welcome this morning. But listen, I believe the scriptures give us a principle that basically tells us that like 90% of all of the offense and the hurt, the friction and the difficulty, the fighting and the distrust in our relationships, it can be explained by one truth, one truth. Again, it doesn't matter whether this is somebody you know or somebody you're a stranger with, somebody that hurt you deeply or somebody that slightly aggravated you. I believe one principle can actually help you to understand and cope with offense when they come. Now, if that were true, if that were true, if you could leave here today and say, okay, 90% of the times I get into a fight with somebody or I get angry with somebody, I can explain why. 
that would probably be worth showing up for, wouldn't it? It would be worth tuning in for, even in this hot sweat box of a church. You guys, uh, we are, you know, we're new in this building, okay? And so we're learning that you have to turn the AC on like the night before instead of showing up at 6.30. So I'm sorry, it's a little hot. We're gonna get it fixed for next week. Regardless, I promise you this is gonna be worth showing up for. And this principle, okay? It is so simple and it's so true that I wanna give it to you up front so that we can talk about it throughout our time together today. The actual cause of offense in our relationships is usually as simple as unmet, unspoken, or unreasonable expectations. Let me say this again. The actual cause of offense in your life, in your relationships, is usually as simple as having unmet, unspoken, or unreasonable expectations. The reason we feel hurt, the reason we feel unappreciated, the reason that we fight and separate with our friends or our family is often down to one of these three very simple things. Now, we find this principle illustrated throughout the New Testament. I mean, all over the place, you will see this play out. But this morning, I want to highlight one particular man's story because I think it's an amazing illustration of this point in principle. His name is John the Baptist, all right? John the Baptist. We're going to look at part of his story in Luke chapter number 7. This morning, we'll have the verses here on the screen, or if you've got your Bible, we're going to be reading along in the New Living Translation. So check this out, uh, Luke chapter number seven. The scriptures say this, the disciples of John the Baptist told him about everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else. Now we're gonna keep going in this story, but I wanna pause here because some of you may not be familiar with John the Baptist's story. John the Baptist was actually Jesus' cousin. Did you guys know that? They were cousins. So uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, and John's mother, Elizabeth, they were pregnant at the same time. Okay, they were cousins. So Kuya John and Jesus grew up together. They spent their life childhood. They knew each other well. BFFs, okay? They really were close growing up. Now, John the Baptist grows up. He's a little bit older, a couple months older. He grows up and he becomes a very well-known preacher in ancient Israel. Like he's got the fire, you guys, okay? He's way more entertaining than I am. And people from all over the countryside come to listen to John the Baptist preach and teach. And then he starts baptizing them in the Jordan River. By the way, this is why he's called John the Baptist, or more accurately, it's John the Baptizer, okay? There wasn't like John the Methodist and John the you know Catholic and stuff. No, no, it's John the Baptizer. All right. And the reason that he was doing this was kind of like as a symbol of the fact that people were getting right. They were getting clean, so to speak, from their mistakes and sins. And so anyway, he's a well-known preacher. People are coming from all around to be baptized by him in the river. And one day we read in Matthew chapter number three, Jesus comes to one of his church services. Jesus actually shows up to John's church service. And when he shows up, John says something so incredible, something so special that it kind of defines and shapes everything that happens in the New Testament from this point forward. So John basically gives this little mini sermon uh, when his cousin Jesus shows up. And he says, listen, up until this point, all of my preaching and teaching and ministry has been about helping people to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. We believe that the Messiah was coming someday and I'm trying to get people ready for the day he shows up. But on this particular morning, he says, now I realize the Messiah we've all been waiting for, for thousands of years, is actually my cousin Jesus. 
He is the, cho- the chosen one, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John the Baptist actually baptizes his cousin Jesus in the Jordan River, And after that, John continues on with his ministry. But now he's no longer teaching and preaching that the Messiah is going to come someday. Now he's saying, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy that we have been waiting on for this whole time. Pretty cool story, all right? Now, eventually, John catches the attention of the leaders in Israel, all right? They start to take notice of this wild man out in the woods, and he's preaching, and everybody's coming around, and he's gaining a bit of a following. And so there was the governor of the region. His name was Herod. And Herod doesn't like the things that John is saying and doing. So he has John arrested and placed in jail. How many of you guys know that jails in the first century were not like jails today? I mean, no jail is good, okay? But there was no cable TV. You didn't get three hots in a cot. You were basically in a dungeon. So this was a bad place for John to be. Now, I want you to understand, it was with all of that history and circumstances happening that John decides to send a message to his cousin Jesus to say, are you the Messiah actually? Are you really the one that we've been waiting? I thought you were, but now I'm not so sure. I mean, if you were the real Messiah, would the real Messiah leave his cousin locked up in jail? Would he not like miraculously release the handcuffs and set his cousin free? I thought we were boys. We grew up together. Why is it? that you're not intervening in my situation. Why is it that you are not helping me? I mean, he must have been very upset, perhaps even offended with his cousin Jesus for not intervening. And so with all of that happening, he sends the messengers. We read here in the next verse, John's two disciples found Jesus. And they said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah? We've been, and I want you to highlight that word in your mind, expecting. Because remember what I told you our big principle for today is nearly all the conflict in your life comes from unmet, unspoken, or unrealistic expectations. So John says, are you the one we've been expecting or should we keep looking for somebody else? Oh man, that word expectation is so important here because John identifies the fact that he had an expectation on Jesus. They had a relationship together and he had an expectation on his cousin. And he says here, essentially, that expectation has gone unmet. I thought you were going to do something different than what you were doing. And that's left me feeling hurt. It's left me feeling left out, wounded, betrayed, whatever the case may be, all right? This becomes an opportunity for offense in John's life. And this is the exact same pattern that happens to me and to you like every single day, all right? Now this expectation, okay, because you and I all have expectations in our relationships. You have expectations on the people around you. And sometimes those expectations, we're aware of them and they're good and right and healthy. And then sometimes they just operate like subconsciously behind the scenes. And we don't even understand that we're putting these expectations on other people. So for example, okay, in this, John is kind of, he's outlining a couple of different expectations for Jesus here, all right? The first is that as a Jewish person, John was expecting the Messiah to come but he had a very specific belief about what the Messiah was going to be like. So everybody was waiting on the Messiah and they all believed that when he showed up, he was gonna show up as a warrior or he was gonna show up as a politician, you know? He was gonna be like in a suit and tie and speak very, very well. And everybody is gonna automatically recognize, oh, this is the Messiah. He's showing up with authority and influence, right? That's the expectation, 
But hey, when Jesus showed up, he didn't come as a warrior. He didn't show up as a well-spoken, educated politician. When Jesus showed up, he was an itinerant rabbi, meaning he, he wasn't even attached to a synagogue. He just went around preaching and teaching, okay? He was a self-employed carpenter. Now, nothing against carpenters, okay? Because some of you guys have skills that I don't have, and I'm genuinely jealous of what you are able to do. But most people don't look at carpenters and think, son of God, yeah, totally. Gonna change the world, this guy, all right? You, some of you don't even want your kids to grow up to be a tradesman, all right? And yet Jesus shows up. And so he does not meet the expectation that the Jewish people had placed on him. So John is identifying this expectation and he's saying it's gone unmet. Are you with me so far? Okay, good. Then there is this personal level of expectation in which I'm sure John was thinking, like, if we were really tight, like I thought we were, then you would come and do something about this. You would set me free. You would not leave me to rot in this dungeon. There is an expectation that goes unmet, and that unmet expectation becomes an opportunity for offense in John's life. Now, I told you guys a moment ago, we all have expectations in our relationships. Again, whether we speak them, whether we're aware of them, we all have them. You expect your spouse to remain faithful. Come on. You expect your boss to notice and appreciate your hard work. That's an expectation, and it's a fair one. You expect your friends to be there for you when you need them. You expect the police to keep you safe. You expect your kids are not going to draw on the walls with crayons, all right? You expect your pastor to be helpful every once in a while in his messages. We all have expectations in our relationships. In fact, the number of expectations that you and I carry around is so great that if we actually tried to number them all, if I tried to list out all the expectations I had in my relationship with my wife, guess what? I would never, divorce. (laughs) That is so good. I I told you guys last week, I love being in this building because we're together and I can hear your responses and that is what I'm talking about. Yes, that joke is going in the next message, all right? In the next service for sure. Yes, there's no way, okay? There's no way we could enumerate them all. Now listen, please, before we move on, I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say here. Expectations are normal and necessary in relationships. There is nothing wrong with having healthy expectations on the people that you are with. Expectations are completely normal and necessary. It's not wrong to expect your neighbor to shovel his sidewalk. It's not wrong to expect that lady not to be on her phone while she's driving down the highway, all right? But the majority of the time that we find offense or conflict in our relationships, the reason we're upset is because we have an expectation that has gone unmet. The other person did not do what we thought, what we expected, what we believed they should or were going to do in that situation. Now, look, I understand this is incredibly simple. Of course, people are going to fail to meet all of your expectations. But listen to me now. It's often the most simple truths that end up being the most powerful if we're willing to put them into practice. See, when we're hurt by someone, we should stop and ask, what expectation do I have or did I have that has gone unmet in this situation? What what was I expecting them to do that they did not do? See, if you don't ask that question, you will react rather than respond. When somebody does you wrong, emotions will well up inside of you. And because you haven't paused and you haven't cataloged or identified what's really causing you frustration and anger in this moment, you will simply react emotionally. 
And you guys know as well as I do that reacting is almost always a bad thing to do. We should be responding for sure, but when we react, we tend to do it negatively. We tend to say things we regret. We end up causing offense in the other person. So now all of a sudden we have this escalating cycle, right? They hurt me and I react by just shunning them. Shun, all right? I don't want anything to do with you. I'm gonna leave you alone. Then the other person is like, why are they treating me like that? This is crazy. All right, well, you wanna shun me? I'm gonna blast you on Facebook. And now it just goes and grows and grows and grows. Why? Because we are reacting rather than identifying what's really going on, what's motivating the problems in our relationship, and then responding in a healthy way, all right? So um, this principle, okay, and then we're going to move on to the other three. This principle, okay, uh, most of the conflict in my relationship simply comes from unmet expectations. This principle allows you to communicate and frame your offense in a healthy and productive way. Offense will come. Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come. So then how do I frame it? How do I communicate it in a way that's productive rather than just leading to like rage or gossip or revenge or something like that? Unmet expectations are the primary cause of offense. But it's not just unmet. You see here on the screen, there are a couple of others. Sometimes it merely comes down to unspoken expectations. And to help you to understand what this means, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you guys have an incredibly complicated order when you go to a restaurant? You know who you are. Don't pretend. Your spouse is going to be elbowing talking about you. You go to a restaurant and you order like a number five, but it turns into a three paragraph order. All right. I am one of those people. You are, you are my people, okay? So I've been eating like according to the ketogenic diet for a long time now, okay? That means that when I go to a restaurant, if I wanna order a burger, I can't simply say, hey, I would like the burger, please. I have to say, now, I would really like the burger, but can you take it off the bun and put it on a lettuce wrap, please? And I can't have the fries, so can we sub those for a Caesar salad? Does the Caesar salad here have croutons in it? Yeah, of course. Okay, can you take the croutons off the Caesar salad, please? I'm embarrassed when I make a restaurant order, I'm like, oh my gosh, the people that are with me have got to think I am absolutely outside of my mind, okay? But that's what it's like. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, here's the deal. Let's imagine that I go to a restaurant this afternoon and I sit down and I make my burger order and I tell them all of that, lettuce wrap, sub the fries for a Caesar salad, cut the croutons, thank you very much. I'll give you a big tip if you get it right. If they bring me a plate after that and it's on this juicy pretzel bun, and it's got just a mound of French fries on it, who was wrong in that situation? They were. It was the server, right? Because I clearly communicated what I was expecting, and so I should have received what I clearly communicated. But let's say we go to a restaurant, and I'm just busy talking or something like that, and they come by, and they say, hey, what do you want? And I'm like, oh, I'll take the burger, and I totally forget, cut the bun, cut the croutons, and all of that. When they bring me back a big plate of those fried carb sticks, I'm going to be really tempted, number one, okay? But number two, I can't get mad at the server. It's not their fault. It's my fault. I didn't clearly communicate the expectations that I had in our relationship. I cannot hold somebody responsible for something I have never told them about. We see this happening all the time in relationships. Amber calls them secret contracts. I love that. I think it's a great phrase. Secret contracts. These are things that it's an agreement that I have entered into with you, but I never told you about the terms of our deal. (laughs) Ha ha, okay? 
I have never told you about the terms of our secret contract. We do this all the time. And what happens is if we never uh, communicate this secret contract and the person fails to live up to it, because come on, why wouldn't they? They didn't even know there was a contract going on. Then suddenly we're offended, we're upset because they didn't do what we expected them to do in that situation. So here's an example of what a secret contract might look like. And I'm going to use my wife as an example here. She doesn't know this. Sorry. Uh, Amber hates it when people make plans with her and then cancel them at the last moment. So I'm guilty of this all the time. I'm like, hey, on Saturday, do you want to do this? And blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, totally. And then I'm like, you know, I'm tired, babe. I don't really want to go out. Let's just stay in and watch Netflix and order pizza. And she's like, you're on keto, bro. And I'm like, oh, crap, you know? So anyway, so she's got this expectation that when people make plans with her, they're going to follow through with the plans. But here's the deal. My wife is not going to say, now I would love to go to dinner with you on Friday night, but listen, if you cancel, I'm gonna be upset. I just need you to know this. She's not gonna do that because that would be awkward. It would put like stress and strain on the relationship and things like that. So this is an expectation that often goes unspoken. It's a totally healthy expectation. There's nothing wrong with it, but it goes unspoken. So the other person doesn't even know that, oh, canceling carries a lot of weight with her. With me, if you cancel plans, I'm like, sweet, I got my night back. It's good, okay? But with her, it matters. All right, unspoken expectations. Let me, let me share with you another way a secret contract plays out, and it plays out in church this way a lot of times. Somebody will come, and they'll get really involved, and they'll serve, or they'll give, or you know whatever the case may be, and they expect that that generosity, they expect that that investment is going to earn them the right to have influence and leadership in the church, Okay? Nothing wrong with that. We need leaders in the church. Hey, listen, some of you are leaders. You are spiritual leaders in God's house, and you don't even know it yet. You say, no way, not me. I'm not even a Christian. That's okay. God sees where you're going, not where you are today. So listen, there are people that stand up, and they, are, they, they think, okay, because I came and I invested and I cleaned the building on Thursday. I'm not picking on you guys. Thank you for those of you who've been coming and cleaning the building on Thursday. That was just a quick example, all right? Um, they think, because I do this, That means that someday I am going to be recognized. I'm going to be honored. I'm going to be promoted. I'm going to become an elder. They're going to let me on stage. They're going to put a microphone in my hand. And listen, we may do that and we may not. But if that is a secret contract you carry around, if I didn't know that you were thinking, oh, if I do this and this and this, then Dan, I expect that someday you're going to let me do that. If I don't know it, how can I ever meet your expectations? And then what will happen is you're like, man, they didn't appreciate me. They didn't know what I really wanted. And I'm like, I I just had no idea. It's a secret contract. Hey, John had a secret contract with Jesus here. He expected his cousin to break him out of jail, essentially, but he never spoke those words. It was unspoken. And then listen, we've got secret contracts with God. We have secret contracts with God. Every single one of us, including the dude standing on stage right now. And a lot of times it looks a little something like this. The secret contract is, now God, if I do this, if I go to church, if I live the good Christian life, I give in the offering, I pray, you know, I do all those things, then you're supposed to protect me from any bad stuff happening in my life. That's my expectation, God. I'm gonna do my part and I need you to do your part. See, it's an unspoken contract but you cannot hold someone responsible for expectations that you've never communicated to them. You've gotta be willing to speak it. So one of the healthiest things that you can do for your marriage, for your friendship, for your faith, when you feel offense coming is to stop and ask the question, what secret contracts do I have with this person? 
What unspoken expectation did I have on him or her or them that has gone unfulfilled or unmet in this moment? See, this will help you diffuse a lot of the offense and it will help you to identify like your emotions, your motivations, all those different things. A lot of the conflict in our life is simply due to the fact that we had a contract with somebody that we never told them about. And listen, that's on me. That's on you. That's on us, the ones of us who make this secret contract. Okay, unmet expectations, unspoken expectations. And finally, listen, sometimes we just have to acknowledge that we have unreasonable expectations in our relationships. Sometimes we just have unreasonable expectations on one another. It is totally reasonable to expect your partner to make you happy. But it is unreasonable to expect that your partner will make you always happy. See that? There's a difference there. One of those is totally fine, and one of them is going to set you up for offense. It is totally reasonable one way, and it is unreasonable the other. It is completely reasonable to believe that God will forgive your mistakes, but it is unreasonable to believe that God is going to release you from all the consequences of your mistakes. One of them is healthy, one of them is not. One of them you should expect, and one of them you should not. It is reasonable to want to be seen and acknowledged for your hard work, but it's unreasonable to believe that everybody is always going to appreciate the things that you do for them. They won't. So sometimes we simply have these unreasonable expectations, and when people don't meet them, we get mad at them. But if we were to take a step back, we would say, I'm not sure that that was fair. I actually might be asking more of them than they are capable of giving me in the moment. Hey, listen, I think this unspoken uh, um, expectation that John the Baptist had of his cousin Jesus, that he would set him free from prison, I think this was unreasonable. Why? Because think about it. Jesus didn't use his own power and authority to set himself free when he was arrested and crucified. So why should John expect Jesus to do that for him? I think that this was a little bit of an unrealistic. Jesus never told John, John, if you start preaching about me, I'm gonna make sure nothing bad ever happens. He never said that. I think it was a bit of an unrealistic expectation. So watch this, okay? Somebody is going to offend you this week. Somebody is going to offend you this week. And when that feeling of frustration or hurt, when it comes bubbling up from your soul, rather than simply swallowing the poison, Rather than getting angry and bitter, first ask yourself, what expectations do I have that are going unmet right now? What is it that they did that has bothered me so much? And it may be really obvious, but if you ask that question and you you really search your heart and your mind for the answer, you might find out it's something different than what you expected. Here's a quick aside. We talk about this in premarital counseling, okay? So like I give the example in premarital counseling, let's say that your wife, uh, you come home and your wife is like, man, how many times do I have to tell you to pick up your clothes off the floor? The hamper is right there. Why is it that your dirty socks always land right here when five feet away is the hamper. All right, so I asked the husband, husband, what is she upset about? And the husband says, because my socks are on the floor and they're not in the hamper. And I say, no, you've missed it. See, she's upset because she's asked you again and again and again and again. And the fact that you don't do it is communicating to her that you don't really care what she wants. That's why she's mad, bro. It's not about your dirty socks. See, so when you ask the question, what is the unmet expectation here? This can help clarify and identify what's really going on in your fights. That was just a little example from our marriage, okay? Now listen, 
You ask, what's the real unmet expectation here? Then you ask the question, did they even know that I had this expectation or was it unspoken? And then finally, you say, all right, is my, what I'm expecting of them, is it reasonable? Like, is it reasonable that they would do this for me, that they would never say something that makes me feel heard or whatever? All three of these questions can cause you to just pause, frame things in a better way, and then respond in a healthy and Christ-like manner when you have conflict in your life. Now, listen, I know some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, hey, Dan, this all sounds great, but I just gotta tell you, my marriage is too far gone. That would have been great two years ago, but at this point, that ain't gonna help, bro. We are past that. I understand where you're coming from. Some of you say, Dan, I get it. This seems like a great church, but what I experienced in Christianity as a child, it has impacted me so strongly that I don't think I can ever be a part of this again. I don't even know why I'm here today. If you're here and you're hearing me speak and you're saying, okay, I just, I just believe that my situation is hopeless, that this is all well and good if you catch the problem early on, but my circumstances are too far gone and this is not going to be enough in my relationships. I wanna read for you the answer that Jesus gave to John's question. Oh, this is so good, you guys. John the Baptist sends his disciples, go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we have been expecting or should we wait for somebody else? Luke chapter number seven, verse 23. Oh, check this out. At that very time, when they asked the question, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. That can actually be translated, God blesses those who are not offended because of the things that I say and do. Listen, you're here and you're saying, it's too late. It is too far gone. This relationship can never be restored. Can I show you, can I remind you of what Jesus did in that moment? He started healing people that had been sick their entire lives. He opened the eyes of people who had been blind since birth, people who had had accidents and lost limbs. Jesus used his miraculous authority to bring them back to wholeness. We serve a God who is able to restore what has been lost. We serve a God who is able to resurrect the dead. Your marriage is not too far gone. Your relationship with your dad is not past the point of no return because we serve a God who specializes in that kind of miraculous. You say, well, what's it going to take? It's going to take a little step towards this person. It's going to take a lot of hard work, including some of these principles and maybe even others. But can I read you one more verse before I'm done? Romans chapter number five, verse five says this. This expectation that we have in Jesus it will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Listen, you have broken the expectations that God has on you, okay? I'm just gonna tell you that right now. You have not met the expectations that God has, neither have I. And those expectations were spoken. God has told us very clearly what he wants from us and we've just kind of ignored them. And his expectations were not reasonable. We would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. That's it. And we have failed to live up to those expectations. But rather than getting bitter, rather than getting angry, rather than giving us punishment, God sheds his love abroad in our heart. 
And the same God who was able to do that for you is able to do that for them. And it's able to do it for you guys in your relationship. I promise you, God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or think in your relationships. But you've got to take a small step of faith. And if you do, you are going to see him heal and restore in ways that you never thought were possible. Father, today I speak goodness, healing, grace, forgiveness over every single person that's here. Allow us to be restored to you first and foremost by Jesus. And then because of that great gift of your mercy, allow us to be restored to the people in our lives that we've had great offense with. Help us, God, not to, to have a life full of broken relationships and burned bridges in Instead, help us to be reconcilers just as Jesus reconciled us, us to you. We are so very thankful for what you've done. And God, we live with great expectation for what you're going to do if we'll simply follow your word. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.